Okay, what's up everyone? Welcome to Let's Talk Harper Public School. Let's Talk Harper Public Schools is a talk show designed to highlight the schools in Harper, Connecticut. We discuss our beautiful and capable students as well as our staff, families, and partners. Each show we invite a guest on to talk about who they are, what their relationship is to our schools, and successes and challenges that they face. I am your host, Mr. Rich. I have been a resident, student, teacher, principal, and now executive director, and I will be your guide on this conversational journey. With that said, let's get to our first guest of the 2021 school year. I'm so happy and excited to have our superintendent of schools here in Harper, Connecticut, Dr. Leslie Torres Rodriguez. Welcome. Hello, I am so excited the way you introduced that, like the first show of 2021. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great to have you on. Um, we are really excited about some of the things that we're gonna talk about. Um, and so I wanna, I wanna start with a little background on who you are. And we're just so excited mm -hmm. to have you here. Who are you? Where are you from? Where did you go to school? Let's get into some of that. Okay, you're taking it way back. So, uh, so Leslie Jeanette Torres Rodriguez. Um, and I actually, I was born in Puerto Rico. I was born in um, Ponce, Puerto Rico. Um, however, I... Um, the, the, the town is called Santa Isabel, and it is located in the southern coast um, of the island. And so um, I was in Puerto Rico until the age of nine. And so I attended public schools in, in Puerto Rico. And then I came here um, smack to the middle, you know, smack middle of Park Street. Um, nice. And that's it. I've been I've been in Hartford Public Schools, product of Hartford Public Schools, been serving in and around Hartford um, my entire my entire career. Wait a minute. So where did you learn your English? Did you learn your English in Puerto Rico or when you got no, here? No, no, no. I knew um, probably a, just a handful of of words. Um, and there's this song, right, that that they they used to teach us in Puerto Rico. Um and you will learn a few words in English and in Spanish, right? So, pollito, chicken, gallina, hen, gotcha. lapis, pencil, pluma, pen, ventana, window. Anyway, so um, the, I think those are like 10 words. So, those are the words that I knew in English. That's what I came to, to um, the United States with um, in terms of English words. And then I learned English here at Burns, Burns Elementary. Okay, so Burns, let's, let's start with Burns. Do you remember any of your teachers? at Burns? Of course I do. So um, my first teacher was Mrs. Rivera, and she actually was the person responsible for my my dream to want to become an educator. Um, not only did I, I, you know, identify with her as, as a Latina, um, but um, she did one thing that I, I will never forget. So that was the first time that I um, actually visited as a fifth grader when I came to this to, to, to the U.S. Um, the first time I visited a college classroom. So she, my teacher, was studying, um, I guess, for her advanced degree. And she chose four students from her class to go to her evening class with her and um, 
it was my job to show her college class, her graduate college class, a math problem. And so I vividly remember it was at CCSU. I vividly remember my dress, the, the board, everything. So I, that was my first time not only visiting a college campus and a college classroom, but also um, I was a teacher in that very moment. So that was a long answer to your question as, you know, do you remember any teachers, the first teacher I ever had, meaningful in so many ways? I mean, to give you that experience at such a young age um, had to be awesome. And you know, that stuck with you, right? That's one of, like you said, vividly, you can remember everything you were wearing, the the school you were at, probably the room. I was um, talking in Spanish. I I was, I was supposed to show what you know, the, 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 the division problem that we were learning. And, and yes, I vividly remember power, powerful. That's definitely powerful. Talk about, so you went to Burns Elementary. What other schools in Harper did you attend? Then I transitioned to Cork Middle. Um, and at that point I was still part of their, um, like their bilingual um, program. And it wasn't until I transitioned to high school that I um, transitioned to what is called mainstream um, programming. You picked up fast, right? As far as the language goes? Well, you know, think about it. Five, five years um, for me to, until I was exited. Um, yeah. So, and, and usually, you know, it's, it's about, it's about right. And so Hartford High, right? And Hartford High. Yes. Yes. Hartford High. Proud alum. And we That's love to right. Go, uh, go, go pub. <laughs> go pub, right? You can't rock the pub. <laughs> We definitely love to highlight when we have our, you know, our own, of course, I was a graduate of Harvard um, Public High School as well. So we like to jab at the Weaver people a little bit, you know, when we get our Harper High alum. Um, what was Harper High like? Oh, my. So first of all, it was big. Yeah. Oh, there were so many. So it, my goodness, that felt like we, we didn't fit, um, I recall. And, you know. Um, so it's certainly, even though it was big, I felt part of a larger community. There was no question. I felt part of a larger community. Um, I did feel connected to um, the adults more so than I did peers, right? I was always, um, always been um, on the more mature side. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, there were times in which, you know, the developmental, right, process for for folks um, plays out differently. And, um, you know, there were just other things going on. I had other priorities. My family needed, you know, other supports. And so I was always, um, like, worried about other things, um, not just school, right? Like, I was worried about going to work so that I could support my family, um, while, you know, many other of my peers you know, had a, a a very different experience, right? They were involved in school extracurricular activities and sports and things like that. Things that I just I was not able to access because of other other priority competing priorities on the on the familial side. Understandable. Um, growing up in the '90s in Hartford, and I'm sorry, just pointing mm-hmm. out the '90s, but you know, early '90s, late '80s yeah. in Hartford was um pretty tough, and and I know the area that you lived in, so. I can agree with you on some of those things, some of those priorities that you had to take care of. Now, in a different venue, I heard you share an experience with one of our teachers at Hartford High. Um, We were talking about Mr. Abate, and you had a great story, who recently retired. 
to all those people that know Mr. Abate out there, um, best wishes to him on his successful retirement. He was an awesome teacher, but share that story you shared about Mr. Abate. Yeah, you know, there are there are always a few people that like along your journey stand out. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Abate is a, is someone that stands out for me. And I don't I, I at some point I will get to tell Mr. Abate this yeah. um, personally. So Mr. Abate um, was um, someone who pointed out to me, by the way, I loved his class. Um, and the reason I loved his class for, for a few reasons, one, because I felt that I had agency in that class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, like we could be ourselves in that class and he was so authentic and he, I think in the first quarter, he's once, you know, he pulled me aside and he said, you don't belong in this class. He says, you need to, you need to be more challenged in different ways. You, you, I'm going to recommend you to go to the honors class. And no one had ever said anything like that to me. Um, I had never been challenged like that before. And, and I said, no, I'm, I'm good here. I don't want to leave your class. Do you teach that class? No, I don't teach that class, but I'm going to go with you. Um, and he did. He escorted me to my guidance counselor's office and said, this young lady needs to be challenged. She needs to be in an honors levels class. Um, and right. So in high, now, as I reflect, right, talk about equity and systems and structures. And and I did ultimately, by the way, enroll in the in the honors class, which I hated. Um, it was a class, and I would, and so again, equity in inequity, inequity yeah. systems designed right to, um, you know, not not have access, not give access an opportunity. A class of seven students, um, most did not look like me. Right. They were most not student. They were not students of color. The majority were not students of color. And, um, you know, they were in a, in a nice little circle around the table and that's, that was the way that they were learning. Um, and, and they had a lot of work to read and write about. And so that just was not, it just was not conducive to my learning. And I ended up, um, leaving the class. I, I did not stay not even three weeks into the class. And my point of all of that is that, um, so he doesn't know it, but he was an, a, a change, a, an equity change agent. Wow. He might not have seen it that way, right? That was probably not the term, obviously, back then. Right. But that's all I needed to know what? One, I can do this. I can do more than. And two, wow, imagine if we had more like him with awesome. his right disposition, to finding the strengths in students and then acting on that. You know, the thing that I'm taking away, you know, love Mr. Abate, love the story, but the whole idea as we talk about equity and what people can do. And sometimes, you know, we had a conversation yesterday in our principals meeting about um, assumptions we make, right? When it comes to the types of students that we deal with. And so, you're talking about someone that's coming from a bilingual background. And sometimes when we look at our EL students, people make the perception that they're not as bright as someone who fully understands our language. When language has nothing to do with it, for the most part, when it comes to access and intelligence and what someone can tell you or show you or um, display how smart they are when it comes to something. And that just stuck out to me from your story that here we are, a bilingual student, who came out of the program by then, obviously, but that you can go on to honors, right? And, and I shouldn't expect that, that, I shouldn't expect any less of you 
for that, but that's just what people tend to think, right? Our EL students, our SPED students, our students um, of color can't be as smart as other students. Yeah, and it also shows that, um, right, when we think about creating system, first of all, dismantling, right, systems that um, oppress, um, that we have to take multiple steps. It's not just about, it wasn't just about Mr. Bates saying, um, okay, let me get you and enroll you in the class, right? The system has to be designed and all the other elements in the system also have to respond to that equity move, right? I was not going to be successful had I not, because I didn't have any other additional supports, right, that I needed to be successful in a new environment, in a new setting with new expectations, with new content, with new, with a, with a different level of rigor. So let me get into, you know, you describing how you ended up here. Now, I know that's a long journey from high school to where you sit now, but what was your path? How did you end up, how did you end up in education? So I, again, right, that dream in fifth grade to be a teacher was, I held on to the dream and I had to let go of that dream um, at the end of my second year of college. Um, so I was enrolled all the way that I was going to teach in Hartford Public Schools. That was it. I knew that early on. And 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 I ran out of money, right? I was putting myself through college, yeah. um, working full time and, and trying to do that while supporting you know others in my family. And I ran out of money. And I thought, oh my God, like I have to secure my degree. Because I knew that was the only way out, right? And try and 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 way out in terms of, you know, being able to access a better life. And um, you know, one day I happened to be in a community organizing event. I forget what I was, you know, act. I was, you know, protesting something. Um, I think it was the Navy getting out of, you know, the island of Vieques in Puerto Rico, right? I was active in in that. And I met a professor from, from the Yukon School of Social Work. And he said to me, um, you know, I, I've seen you at these events. What do you aspire to do? And, and when, I, when I said, I, I want to be a teacher, I, I think I have to drop out. I'm going to drop this my last semester until I can work, get a little more money, and then enroll back in. He says, mm-hmm. well, if you ever think about being a social worker, we have, fun, we, have, we have scholarship for that. But you would have to change your major. You'd have to change your major either to sociology or one of the other majors. And by the way, we have scholarship money for that too. That's nice. all I need to hear. <laughs> I changed my semester, my, my major. I became a human uh, development family studies major um, in order to secure, uh, you know, a free way to um, achieving a bachelor's degree, then a master's degree, which, you know, I'm so grateful for the Yukon School of Social Work and funding they had specifically for um, Latinos back then. And, and I said, somehow I, I'll get back to teaching some, somehow, someday. And, and the way I did that for seven and a half years was, you know, teaching as an adjunct at Capital Community College. All right. And then from Capital. You went to I, I went to become a social worker. I was a social worker for eight, eight years in the technical school system in New Britain. Yep. Um, and in the middle of that, I, um, you know, wanted to continue to, to, to school, to go to school and learn and get better. And by then I had identified that I was a systems. By then I knew I'm, I'm a systems person, um, larger systems, inter, you know, how, how systems connect, that it's not just about. Um, you know, um, 
what the the student alone right that there's a there's an interaction between the student the content um and the the larger ecosystem which is what led to me wanting to become a school administrator and i'm enrolled in the doctoral program and from then on went on to be a school administrator and and so that that growth because i don't you know for me as being a classroom teacher and then becoming an administrator, as we make, and now an executive director, as we make those steps going up and looking at the bigger picture or the balcony, right? Um, looking down on everything, making that jump to being a superintendent, though. Why that? Why why superintendent? Yeah, and, you know, it, it gets to, um, there's an ecological perspective that um, as leaders, leaders in an urban context we have to have. Um, and um, yeah, sure, we could, we could, we all can be agents of change at any level, right? Whether it is one-on-one in a classroom level with your peers, with your students. Um, and to me, it was um, at the system level, the larger systems and finding ways to um, leverage not only my my role, but again, my knowledge base, my skill set, my disposition, my experience to make larger scale impact and change. Um, it was about, um, I've, I've, I've got to get at it from a system level. And even as a younger, as a, as a student, um, remember my, my ninth grade teacher who was so frustrated with me as a ninth grader, because I always had something to say. And I always, I'm like, oh my goodness, like you all don't get it. Um, there's a separate way of that we could be doing this. And she, she said to me one day, well, when you become the teacher, right, you, oh, you are one of those students. I, I remember her vividly, Miss White Porrick, <laughs> um, my English teacher had me twice. Cause I was in her class and in her homeroom. So like, I, this is how I set the tone for her day. I feel so bad. Um, and she turned around one day. She said, when you become the teacher, you get a say right now. You are, you don't get to say, and I turned around and I said, I will, I tell you, I'm not going to be, I'm going to become a, when I'm a principal, Yeah, yeah. you know, because that way I can impact at a broader level. That was my thinking back then. Um, anyway, um, systems, systems, That's systems, policy, right? That's policy true. systems, resource yeah. allocation. Um, we all can make a difference and, 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 and change toward equity at different levels for me is at the system level. I appreciate that answer. Um, what an answer to why, I, I guess, you know, why get to this level of being a change agent? Perfect answer. Um, so that whole balcony, that whole district-wide perspective that you have might not be for everybody though, right? No, not at all. And and I will tell you personally, it also has to do with who I am as a, as a learner. Right. Like I've always as a, even as a child, I've always seen things from from the broader perspective, um, you know, the 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 sequential step by step. That's really hard for me. Um, however, um, you know, give me a highly complex thing, system problem and try to identify how it all fits together or not. Um, that's that's the way my brain um, is designed. And so that doesn't mean that, um, you know, someone that doesn't see things that way cannot be successful, um, you know, at leading. I think, I, I believe that everyone can lead and be successful at different, at different levels. 
um, where there is one-on-one, you know, impact and through through their leadership, working one-on-one with a student or with a group of teachers, mentoring teachers. Um, but for me, it is it is the systemic thinking and the systemic perspective. All right, let's get into this role of being superintendent, right? A lot of people have their own perceptions mm-hmm. of what they think you do every day. So what is what is it what is it what is it that you do? <laughs> What's your job? So um essentially the the def by definition, if you will, you know, my job is to ensure that I create conditions, that I create conditions for ultimately um, our adults to be successful in serving our students. And so um, that's an easy broad brush definition, but that means that I have to, um, in partnership with all of the elements in the system, and by that I mean our our parents, our teachers, um, our students, our community, that um, I ensure that there are resources, right? People, time, and money um, so that we can implement, you know, uh, our plan to achieve student improvement outcomes. That's, 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 um, that's a simplified way, um, Tyrone, of um, looking at the job, because then I have to overlay Um, our context, right? The urban context and the fact that, you know, many of our students, you know, come from high need communities. And so with that, I have to, as much as I would like to say, we are only going to focus on teaching and learning. We're only going to focus on what plays out in the classroom. We're only going to focus on the instructional core, right? The interaction between the student, the content, and the teacher. That's just not, that's just not the reality, right? It's that and everything else, hence our focus on meeting the needs of the whole child, right? Because we know that in a context like ours, um, we have to to think about and acknowledge and then respond to some of the other needs that our students are going to bring in, right? We, we, there's a very humanistic element to, to our profession. Um, and so we cannot ignore, of course, what the students bring, but also what all of the adults bring, right? That make up a learning community. And so to, to just, um, uh, narrow the, the the job of a superintendent to, you know, the resources. And, and it's not just about that. There is that there's a confluence of um, responsibilities and, and changes. It changes. I, there is no routine as much as I want to have a routine. Um, there are times in which, you know, the, the way in which we go about our priorities has to shift. Um, and boy, has that, has that been true in the last eight to 10 months? Yeah, this, this time of COVID, I hear, the, I hear the social work in you, in your responses, by the way. I, I hear that um, with the whole child and the whole adult piece to, to this whole trying time right now. So let's, let's talk about COVID. Um, what's been the most difficult challenge right now during the last 
eight to 10 months. Ah, um, uh, not one challenge. I think that's why I'm having a hard time. Like with, with that, yeah, there's I'm sorry to narrow it down like that, but there what is, I'm gonna tell there is, what has been, there is a, there's been a collision <laughs> of challenges. Right. Um, it, one is having to shift quickly. Um, and while that has been a challenge, that has also been an opportunity for us to learn that mm-hmm. like, whether we want to or not, whether we wanted to or not, we had to pivot and we had to pivot fast. We had to create essentially an entirely new system. Um, and so now that we, we've been able to do that, and I'm actually um, working with a partner to try to um, kind of codify and, and lift, what were the lessons learned in that quick process? Um, that means that we can, we can engage and change differently than we were doing it before and potentially much faster. So that's, that's, that was a challenge yet, you know, a learned, a learned learning opportunity. The other is just knowing that there are so many students that this, this is not working for this. I mean, not being connected in the way that they were before Um, this meaning um, not um, for some students, not having access to, um, uh, the resources that they need to even feel safe and have basic needs met. Um, the fact that a challenge because um, instruction and our staff, our staff, our staff have been challenged, right? right? right. And and it's hard for us to, in such an, a short amount of time, um, you know, build the, the capacity to the level that is needed. Um, not because they don't want to. We have amazing, great, talented, committed staff and, you know, building capacity in, in such an amount, a short amount of time while responding to the crisis is a, is, is a significant challenge for us. So along with challenges come some of those successes, right? So what are the positive things that have come out of these times right now? Um, several. One is from if I keep it technical and by technical, I mean, from just the way we operate from that perspective, um, we can, we can work faster in terms of responding to having to change. Um, another positive has been, um, you know, technology, right. And, and we, before having resources from, from, from the state and other funders, which we're grateful to have, we galvanized and we distributed 10,000 laptops in less than in a, in a matter of a couple of weeks yeah. to our students. And, and not just distribution. I mean, we engaged with families one-on-one, either them coming to us and us going to them, right? Yeah. That's, that's significantly impressive. And so the way we have been able to connect at a deeper level with some of our families, um, you know, has also proved that moving forward, our engagement and partnership will look different as well. The way with that our teachers, um, the innovation that we have seen and the leadership that we have seen in some of our, in, in many of our teachers has, has, has shown that we have such a solid foundation, right? To move forward as a district to the next level of our work. When you talk about some of the things that teachers are going through at the buildings, I know you do your visits to schools regularly. What are some of the things that you've seen when you visited our schools lately? Yes. So I have seen um, 
So first of all, um, putting putting the instructional piece aside, um, I've seen teachers tired. I've seen teachers um, excited. I've seen teachers um, checking in on students. I've actually, you know, walked in a teacher who was talking to a parent. I've seen our teachers trying to go above and beyond in making sure that their students are on the right platform. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it all. And so um, that gives me hope. There is so much hope. Just just by by the feedback that I get from teachers, not only when I go visit, but when they reach out to me. Um, there's so much opportunity ahead of us. I watched, um, I was on a visit not too long ago at one of my schools and I saw a kindergarten teacher, I, a cabin prep. I was at Capital Prep and I saw Miss Kelly. And Miss Kelly has a kindergarten class and she has like 10 kids on Zoom and another 10 kids in class. And you don't think that it could work for kindergartners. But the resilience of the teacher, the resilience of the children to do that foundations lesson was, was awesome, was awesome. Do you have, like, have you seen that kind of stuff going on? I, I have seen it. I will tell you the last time, um, so I was at uh, Montessori, Annie Fisher, um, and the kids, so these were kindergartners. Um, so they were on, so this was a remote, remote class and, you know, there was, um, Ms. Gallo and she was, you know, trying to get the kids. Um, and of course she was trying to show her W and, you know, the kids were trying to show their W. And of course, one of the kids, um, you know, was showing the upside, it was upside down because, you know, he was trying to reflect his image, but, you know, he forgot that, you know, it looks a little different when you project it. Right. And so, you know, the, the, the friend was saying, well, well, that's an M, that's an M, that's not a W. But then the other one was saying, but, but it is also a W. You just have to turn it around. And these were, right, so again, Miss Gallo was a facilitator of a condition in which the students were checking their own understanding and their peers' understanding and extending their own learning. So... So much going on, so much going on. So in transitioning, right, we, we know we had to, as you talked about, pivot pretty quickly from situations where we were all in school to now we're in a hybrid mode, right? And, and um, along those decisions, and I know they're tough and I'm not gonna speak for you, um, what goes into that, right? Because there'll be those people that'll say, well, hey, wait a minute, when we first rolled this out back at, over the summer and into September, we said we would do these things if our positivity rate got to these levels. And there are gonna be some people that say, hey, we didn't do that. And so how do you explain why we didn't do that and where we are now? So, so first is you know, offering clarification as to where we started. We yep. started with no guidance because this was a pandemic and there was little guidance. So 
you know, Tyrone, you were part of those conversations, right? I, I initially did what I had to do as a leader. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to see what, what is out there in, in terms of past practice that resembles um, a pandemic. So, okay. So I did that. And, and something that was out there was a similar decision meter. And so I leveraged that from Harvard and I had to, because at that point, the state was still trying to figure things out and I had to do something because I didn't want to wait. And so initially that was the frame that we used. These are the guideposts. We're going to go with that. Essentially the state did, you know, release some additional guidance and we had to adjust to that. Um, and, and part of the learning has been um, that we want to, we want to have clear metrics. We want to have clear posts. And that is when the flexibility comes in, right? The fact that we have to be flexible and, you know, we are at the end of the day, human beings that um, thrive on predictability, right? It is just part of our nature, right? To be able to predict if there is a threat and change, change represents a threat to our brains, to our minds. And so, um, you know, I do understand where people are, where, where people came from in terms of, um, you said this and you, and in terms, you know, you didn't do that and you didn't hold true to that. So the best that I can do is explain how we started and how the change came about and why. Okay. And we've seen that those communications out there, we've seen you send memos out, um, updating people on where we are. We're in hybrid now. Where do you see us going? I know we have the president, we have a new president coming on. He's talking about a hundred day plan and rollout. We have a new commissioner. Um, that's a big lift. Uh, where do you see us going in the near future? Considering we also have a vaccine as well. Yeah, so I will I will first go back to, um, you know, what were the guiding design principles that would inform decision, right? And, and this probably is lost in people's minds because, you know, a lot has happened since, you know, we started doing this, this design process in the, in the summer. But, but, you know, we, we in Hartford Public Schools have a commitment to equity. And we know that when students don't have access to instruction, that is not a good outcome for our students. Mm -hmm. and, and so that along with parents and parent choice and need, as well as what's safe, what, what's, what is safe to do. And so I have and continue to believe that our students are served better in the classroom. In front of people, in front of adults. That is, that is it. That is it. Um, that they learn from and with not only the, the the adult, but with others in the learning environment. And so um, to the extent that that is possible, I will continue through, you know, through our work collectively to have that happen. And so um, right now where we are, I see it, I, I see it as also a phased back approach, phased back in approach. So right now we have the students that were in hybrid, the students that were um, coming to school whose parents chose for them to be in school that are in hybrid. So we can look at it two different ways. One is we can either get all of those students in all of those grades back first, mm -hmm. or we can say of those students, we're only going to transition back lower grades and then continually to increment, you know, increment in terms of adding higher grades back in. 
Another way that we can do that is saying, um, you know, we're going to bring in all of our K-3 students, whether they're in hybrid or fully remote. So I think one of the, where I am currently is really looking for any potential additional guidance from health experts, right? I know that there's recently new guidance that is saying that in the, the younger students, right, they really aren't a threat in terms of transmission. I have to dig deeper into that, into that literature. But if that is the case, then that means that we can potentially prioritize bringing in the lower grades back. And the other uh, parallel here is the vaccination, mm -hmm. right? Because um, we are going to um, certainly be diligent in trying to secure as many vaccinations as possible for, for our staff. And so we're not talking about, I mean, it's, it's January right now. We're not talking about, we're all back in school in February. Obviously this is something that is gonna take time. It's gonna take planning um, to roll out efficiently. Yeah, and, and still to the extent possible, you know, giving our staff and families, um, you know, I always talk about the two, if, if ideally two weeks, right, to, you know, kind of plan and get ready for, for the shift. And I hear, I hear folks saying, well, well how much other planning do you and teachers need? Um, I mean, we, this is a system. We yeah. operate a system, you know, and um, yes, we had to, at the drop of a dime back in March, shut down and, and figure things out. But to the extent possible, to the extent that we can do that with planning and giving our teachers time to, um, you know, not only situate themselves professionally, but personally, um, we're going to do that. And we're going to do that in a safe way. And so um, do I want to have kids in tomorrow? More kids in? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Um, I've heard from teachers that have said, when are we coming back in? I'd right. rather be in person with get my hybrid kids back in. Um, but we have to just do so in a way that that is that is safe. And um, now we have to think about, you know, the vaccine and and how we're going to manage all of that. I want to switch a little bit to a different conversation, kind of along uh, the same lines with equity. And right now, our district is engaged at the school level where just about every staff member is reading a book, so you want to talk about race. And we've had, you know, obviously a tumultuous summer here in our nation um, that just continues to play itself out even as early as last week. Um, what does it mean to have your district uh, involved? Why did you think that that was a good idea to push something like this, as far as everyone reading the same text. Yeah. Um, so, and and those, as you know, um, Tyrone were specifically chosen by me. Mm -hmm. uh, those texts, and so first, I thought it was important for um, all of us to have a shared understanding of of key. Um, in its purest technical sense of, of key terms, right? What exactly do, do we mean or does it mean to um, be an anti-racist or um, what is racism, um, oppression bias? What does that mean? Have a collective understanding of, of, of the language and then uh, progress in our understanding and dialogue and action about how those play out. Um, you know, not only... Um, in our homes, in our communities, and in our classrooms. 
And, and that is work that is coupled with all of the um, things that had happened prior to. So at the district level, um, you know, we have been doing equity work um, for several years now. You know, the example that I that I lift often is our equity centered budget that I don't I don't know if many people are really aware of that. But, you know, those were some key moves that we had to make to ensure that there was equity and resources. And by resources, I mean staffing, right? Making sure that there was adequate staff in the schools and classrooms that needed additional resources. And so, you know, we're not just starting now because we're, we're you know, we have a shared, you know, text. Um, right. We've been doing some of the work, but now it was important to me to have shared understanding so that we can begin to add on to our work, looking at our curriculum. You know, what is it that we are having in front of our students, right? We did work to examine um, the, the, the quality of not only the quality of material, but what it is that students are being asked to do, which, by the way, is one key element in achieving true educational equity, right? Not only the, 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 the curriculum, but what activities, what is the task that's, that a student is being called to do? So we've begun to examine all of that. And, um, you know, equity work is multi-layered, is complex. It's, it's, it's at the policy level, it's at the resource level, is at the um, interactional level. And so it was important, um, Tyrone, to start with shared understandings and then continue to build um, ultimately to create experiences in which students are liberated, right? We want students to be informed consumers, not only of information. I mean, boy, did we learn that last in the last couple of weeks, how important it is to know, right, how to consume and how to take in information and critically analyze it for yourself. Um, and, and so that's ultimately what we're after so that our students um, do not continue to um, live in poverty, right? And um, are able to create better opportunities from their, for themselves, for their families, and ultimately for their communities. Now you just also witnessed um, our own Miguel Cardona um, get nominated or appointed to the Secretary of Education for the United States of America. And he was our own Secretary of Education for Connecticut. Um, what does that mean to you as a fellow um, Latina? And how important do you feel that it is for students of color to be around other adults of color educating them? Yeah, so, you know, so pride. Um, but let me unpack that because oftentimes I hear, um, you know, whether we're talking about the um, secretary of education elect or any 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 other person of color, um, mm -hmm. in this case a Latino, um, folks say, well, you know that person, you know, so a Latino is here, or Latina, or a black man, or, or this person, and I always um, remind folks that it's about first is about um, knowledge base, skill set disposition and then is oh and and I and I'm a Latina right so or or and he's a Latina or he's a Puerto Rican male um because 
quickly folks can um, discard or discount the qualifications, right, that, that we bring, the expertise that we bring. And it is great then that, you know, as people of color, we then can say, yes, I have, I have this and I have this qualification and I have this experience, I have this body of work, and I happen to be, right, in this case, a Latino, in this case, a Latina. Powerful. Mm -hmm. What, what about those adults being in front of our kids? Powerful, um, powerful. I, I do believe that um, representation matters. I mean, look, I, I shared my experience as a, as a fifth grade coming to, um, you know, United States for the first time and um, having my, my teacher. Um, and that matters. And that matters. What I, what I always also add is that we also, while we want teachers to represent and students to see themselves, um, we also need highly qualified teachers, right? So hence, it's a commitment, it's a, it's, a, it's a broader commitment. It's making sure that, yes, there is representation and that, yes, we have high quality teachers in front of our students, right? It, it, so for us to, to only focus on um, one aspect, I think we're missing, right? We're missing many other elements. So we have to do a better job um, at ensuring that, you know, there are more minority teachers in front of our students. And we have to do a better job at ensuring that um, our students experience high quality um, teachers and instruction. I respect that answer. Um, true on both, on both fronts. What do you want to get better at in your role? So many things. <laughs> uh, I am a biggest critic, by the way. Um, what do I want to get better at? I want to get better at um, creating a culture of, of collaboration in a complex system like ours. And I mean a culture of collaboration internally and externally um, as well. I want to get better um, at creating um, conditions to support exceptional, exceptional teaching and learning, exceptional instruction, um, so that we can improve outcomes for our students. And I want to get better at um, ensuring that um, our teachers our teachers, every adult, every student that, that is part of Harvard Public Schools feels emboldened to reach their highest potential. Beautiful. All right. Um, we're wrapping up. We're getting, we're getting towards the end. Um, you have constituents out there. You have your parents. You have your students. You have your teachers. Um, I'm going to ask you for this really quick. If there's one thing you could tell to each of those um, right now, what would you say? Oh, okay. Um, to our parents, um, your child matters. Your child matters to us. Um, to, to the parents, um, you matter. And 
we need your partnership and we want to partnership. We want to partner with you so that we can learn from and with you. Um, and to our, to our teachers, um, you inspire me and I am where I am because of someone like you and that, and you matter. All right. And then our, did you do our students? Oh, my dear students. Um, oh, you are beautiful and you are capable. There's our, we love that. You know, I hear that all the time now. So that, that is stuck and people use that a lot in our phrase. I use it for our show as well. Beautiful and capable. That sums up our students. Dr. Torres Rodriguez, it's been great talking to you. Our girl, Leslie from Heart for High. Um, what do you, what do you like to do? Hobbies, interests. Um, so that's one thing I got to get better at, but I will tell you that the one thing I have, I have been committed to a practice that I've been committed to. This is my 25th year, 25th year, I think, or maybe 26th year. I got to do the math better um, of my meditation and yoga practice. Um, been doing that for quite some time practicing um, has been very, has been key in my, in my journey, actually. I would assume that was part of the role, right? Like this is something that I have to do as a routine or that came with the job description that I need to be involved with something like this, just to level myself with all the things that you have to deal with in a day. That, that actually, no, that was, I was quite younger <laughs> when I started, this is before yoga and meditation was like, you know, in yeah. style. Um, anyway, and then, um, so I'm a runner. Um, I do that and I'm a scuba diver. I haven't gone obviously um, in a while, but um, that's my favorite place, place to be, you know, 80, 90 feet below water with my underwater friends. Scuba um, diving. Yeah. So I just watched uh, 47 meters down uncaged which was uh, my, me and my wife mm -mm, no no scuba diving watching that movie give us something that, and I know you I know you're gonna say you, you don't have time give give us something that you watched or you binge or something that you've seen recently that we got to check out so first of all I I don't watch much at all and I share that I've I've had we've had one tv I all my life my entire life, I've only had one TV, like whether as a child or even as an adult now, one TV, wow. there's only one TV in our house, always has only been one TV in our house. So anyway, I barely know how to work my own TV. However, my oldest, who's a freshman in college, turned me on to Schitt's Creek. Okay. Um, and I started it over the Christmas break. I am not done, but um, that's what I'm watching don't even ask me why but um yeah that's what i'm watching that's, a, that's an interesting show um why should screen so it, because of all of the all of the themes the fact that first the fact that i don't get to to watch tv yeah. um and then when i do you there are beautiful stories that are interwoven about uh family about um, acceptance, yeah. about uh, personal, familial, community growth. Um, there's a piece there about um, just the, the psychosocial development of people, regardless of their age, whether they're you know a young adult, whether they're 
um, you know, uh, a woman, a mother who is, you know, at the end of her career and now has to kind of, you know, marvel, marvel at life through their children's, you know, uh, development and success. Um, there's a little bit of politics in there. So, you know, I guess it was, it's a microcosm of what um, maybe what I've, some of the things that I've been, you know, taking either for granted or not really leaning into so much during the pandemic, right? Not right, had right. so much time to and make. I, and I guess I should, I guess I should have asked what the show was about because it's it's a popular show. So what is the show about? Basically? It, so the thing is that it, it's about so many uh, things. However, um, you know, in, initially, um, it's about a family that was, you know, a, a very wealthy family that um, lost their their wealth and. Mm-hmm. You know, they happen to have um, this little tiny town um, to go to that um, they purchase. But you know, there are all these kind of dynamics, and it is, it is, it is funny. But um, there are some themes about, um, you know, the the LGBTQ um, community, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Is there's a beautiful story about. Um, about love and acceptance and um, not just about, you know, to, you know, two men that, that are, that are in love, but um, just the, the acceptance that um, is, is key for people, just people, regardless of their orientation, right. Need to, 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 to be successful, to thrive. Um, so that that in the middle of 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 my busyness yes um was very welcome for me okay we got to check that I, i've heard about it but i haven't watched it we'll be sure to add it to our list we have been listening to or chatting with it and i know we got so many more questions i i got we got to make you a regular on a podcast somehow some way well, we have been talking to Dr. Uh, Leslie Torres Rodriguez, our superintendent here in Hartford Public Schools. It has been a pleasure. Pleasure has been mine. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I love the podcast. Good job. <laughs> Until next time, you can catch us on 89.9 QFM in Hartford. We are also streaming on the WQTQFM website and available on your CastBox podcast platforms. And on Harper Public Schools website. Signing off, this has been Let's Talk Harper Public Schools, and I am Tyrone Richardson.